Welcome to the Director Download, powered by Campus Rec Magazine. It's time to go behind the curtain of the director role and have honest discussions with leaders in the campus recreation industry. In this episode, host Grady Sheffield, the Director of Campus Recreation at Towson University and the Senior Advisor to the Campus Rec Mastermind Groups, gives you, the listener, real and authentic conversation between himself and special guest, Lori Braden, the Executive Director of University Recreation at Louisiana State University. With 30 plus years under her belt in the industry, Braden has found herself learning along the way. Whether it's the challenge that was the COVID-19 pandemic to the things she wouldn't do differently, Braden gets vulnerable in sharing her takeaways. Plus, she goes into detail about the program, research in the rec, and how the every campus is a park mentality is changing the way UREC does things. All in all, the department is driven by service and the word play, which Braden talks about in depth. As you listen to the following conversation, ask what you can take away from it to apply to your leadership, department, and more today. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Director's Download. I'm your host, Grady Sheffield. And today I get the pleasure of sitting down and talking with Lori Braden, Executive Director of University Recreation at LSU. What's up, Lori? Not much. How are you? Go Tigers. Yeah, go Tigers. Great to hear from you. So excited to have you on with us. Thank you for uh, agreeing to sit down on this session with me. So let's just get right into it. So the audience knows, um, I think, a lot of people know who you are, but not everybody listening is going to know who you are. So how long have you been in the field? 32 <laughs> years, 30, 33 years, maybe. 33 89, years. So 89. Yeah. So a long time, but yeah. an experienced time. So you did your undergrad at the University of Florida, right? I did. Yeah. So when you were there, um, is that where it all started for you with Campus Rec? Is that how you started to get into the field at UF? Um, believe it or not, no. I didn't even know that I could do this as a career. I played uh, rugby and I played every intramural sport and I went to Florida gym and I lifted weights in the bottom of the O-Dome. That's the O'Connell Center for those who don't know. But we didn't even have a rec center at Florida other than the old Florida gym where my classes were. And that's where intramurals took place. So, okay, so so you didn't you didn't work in campus rec. You didn't even know it existed except you played in it. So what led you to pursue a graduate assistantship at NC State? So I, after I graduated, I thought I was going to do resort and commercial recreation. Um, I did an internship with MWR in Berchtesgaden, West Germany, um, which was wonderful. West Germany. Yeah. And, um, wow. And uh, I realized that I didn't want to do resort and commercial recreation after that four-month internship. It was a great experience being in Germany for four months. So I came back and I worked at a YMCA and I did that for nine months. And I realized that that really wasn't what I wanted to do. I had some wonderful faculty members at the University of Florida go Gators. And I I knew I wanted to pursue a master's degree. So I started researching Parks and Rec programs, master's programs, and uh, settled on um, UNC Chapel Hill and NC State and put my applications into each interview with NC State. Uh, the gentleman um, asked me what I like to do. I told him. Uh, he asked me why I was getting a master's. I said, because I want to get a professional job because I really was working for like $5 an hour and no benefit for the Y in 1988. <laughs> 
87, 88. And I was like, this is not a picture of success. I need a master's degree. Yeah. So uh, went, went to NC State. He said, hey, have you thought about collegiate recreation? Go down the hill and talk to this guy, Sam Halstead. He was a director at the time. And he said, they need a GA and we fund it. So I fell into it. I'm kind of like the Goldilocks and the three chairs, right? And I, I found my chair. About six weeks later, I called my mom. I was like, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And she's like, thank goodness, Fred, we're getting the last one off the payroll. <laughs> that's funny. And that's, funny. And that's, that's how I got into it. So that's crazy. So no idea about rec, campus rec. You go and you do an internship in West Germany from Gainesville to West Germany. I'm sure that there's a whole pod session there. We could talk about that experience, I'm sure. Um and then you end up at NC State. And after you graduate from NC State, you go to Texas, right? Mm-hmm. University of Texas Health Science Center. I worked with Pauline Habits. Um, she's still there. I worked at the rec center. I did intramurals and aquatics. I could never have asked for a better, like, full-time, first-time director, supervisor. She supported my engagement in NERSA from the start, like, always. So... It was just a great experience. Um, I was there five years and did five years. Aqu- yeah, aquatics, facilities, and murals, helped with summer camps. And small place, you do it all. It was a non traditional, it was a medical yeah. school, biomedical, dental, postgraduate education. Yeah. So five years at Texas, was there, did you go somewhere else after that? Um, yeah, I, went, I went to Texas Tech for three years as the associate of facilities. And, was able to help in the planning, the referendum and planning of their, uh, I, I, at the time, I think it was the second edition. Um, and I, they've subsequently done more. Um, but I was there from 96 to 99 as the associate director of facilities. Um, so that was a good, that was a good time. Met great people that I'm still connected with, people who are now VPs, um, directors of housing, you know. I'm, I'm starting to get a uh, better understanding and picture of who you are. So Florida, a little bit of time in Germany, North Carolina, Texas. But then you go up north, right? Yeah, I went to Central Michigan University, worked with Stan Shingles. You know, put him right up there as well with Pauline, one of the best humans on the face of the earth. Yeah. You know, we had a shared vision. He had just become the director. I stepped into his role as the associate director of programs. You know, he just was, it was an awesome time. I was there from 99 to 2007. My last like year and a half, I was, uh, I moved into the, back into facilities as the associate director of facilities role. And I kind of went dragging because I was really loving programming. Um, But I had facility experience. And when I was there, I had been doing some micro projects. So, we put in um, two satellite fitness facilities in residence halls back way that back in the day, really, um, at Central Michigan. You know, and I was as, as I oversaw fitness and our fitness team. Um, Demond Pryor was a GA for us and and activated mm-hmm. one of those residence halls, um, fitness centers. So it just it was a great time. So he asked me to go back to facilities, and I was like. Oh. You know, because facilities yeah. is 24-7, 365, you know, when you're in yeah. program, when your program's o- o- over, you're like, right? Yeah. Um, but when you're in facilities, it's like, 
It's all day, all night. Yeah. Pipes break. Yeah. Water, water does damage. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So I was going to ask you, what influence did had, did Stan have on you during that time? And I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'm curious. Can you tell us more about his influence? You know, Stan continued to support my um, nursing engagement. Uh, we, I know, Jennifer Miracle Best, she's no longer in the field, but, you know, Jen Nottingham, she is, she's still there. Damon Pryor, um, you know. A lot of people. In, in those eight years, we had 32 GAs that came wow. through our program. And, you know, we just, we had a great team and we had a lot of fun and we made a difference uh, to the students on Central Michigan's campus. I know that Stan and Jen continue to do that. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is just encouraging the engagement with MRSA. Um, that was the, a principal thing that he did. That and, and getting on committees, I try to emphasize to our staff, be on committees outside your scope of practice. So I had the benefit to serve two terms on the finance committee um, with Dennis Corrington, who Dennis and I, you know, he's since retired from Texas A&M, past president, past honor award winner. You know, Dennis was a big mentor of mine and mm. we spent a lot of time together and I absolutely, I never worked for him, but I learned so much from him. I adore him. And on those finance committees, he taught me a lot. And, you know, that was pivotal in my development in preparing to become a director because I yeah. understood finance. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So that's a good transition to getting us to your time at LSU, which I think started in 2010. Mm -hmm. And you've been there for just about 13 years now. So what's it been like for you in the role of executive director at LSU? <laughs> Well, you know, I couldn't have gotten here either without all those other folks. And then the three years spent, the stint that I did at University of Texas at Brownsville, which is now part of the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, where that was my first director position. And I was able to build a building and start a department from the ground up. And okay. that really was the kind of the, that was the 10 meter or whatever diving board that I used the spring to, you know, come to LSU. And I interviewed here and I just saw opportunity. I'll be honest, some folks at the time were like, who know me? We're like, Laurie, you're going to Louisiana. And I'm like, well, you know, Louisiana's great. I can handle it. And um <laughs> and I ha and, and it is not in a matter of being handled. This is a great place to live and work. Um, we've been able to accomplish a lot since I've been here. We were a uh, small unit with 120,000 square foot building within the division um, of student affairs. And, uh, you know, yeah, now we have a beautiful, completely reconstructed, reimagined uh, facility, 257,000 square feet, a 26 acre field complex, 12 tennis courts, a leisure river that you can see from space that spells LSU. And, yep. uh, you know, as a gator who loves, bleeds orange and blue, but I love my purple paycheck. Um, <laughs> I remember the ideation session when we came up with the leisure river 
spelling out LSU. Um, I was sitting next to a young man who was involved in student government, Robert Bostick, and he worked for us. He was engaged in NERSA for a while as an undergraduate student. And, you know, we were doing this ideation session with Councilman Hunsaker. And I'm like, Robert, what if this pool spelled out LSU? And it was kind of obscure. And then everybody loved the idea. And then we took it to our strategic communications group. And they're like, well, as long as it's spells LSU in the Go font, which is our particular font. Yeah, they're good. They're, they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so I used to tease people that I hit a little orange and blue tile in the pool. And they're like, really, really? I'm like, no, I leave my job. I'm not, I mean, I can joke about it, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when the Gators come to town, are you wearing purple and is it gold or yellow? Or are you wearing yeah. orange and blue? It's purple and gold. And when I, um, when the Gators come to town, I, when I got here, I got four Nike drop it t-shirts and purple and gold and orange and blue. And I took them to a seamstress and I had to have to cut them in force. And so yeah. I have a shirt that has all four colors on it. And I have a very uh, goofy phrase and I say, I'm a winner either way. I cheer on every play. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds like LSU a has been good too. to me. <laughs> yes, yes, as. So I have a question for you based on you as a director. Mm -hmm. What makes you thrive in this role? Um, I think I thrive because LSU is a place that I've been able to really push innovation and continuous learning. Uh, we do a program called Research in the Rec where faculty can come over and present at what we call our social staircase. Um, and they can present, students can present. Uh, we've had, we have a regular kind of gig with uh, Dr. Chris Barrett who teaches 16th century literature. And she's come over the like the last two spring semesters to do Milton and the UREC. And John Milton um, wrote a lot about actually sustainability and inclusion. And uh, uh, Chris is a, really innovative uh, faculty member. So their project at the end of their class is to take one of Milton's pieces to shape it and perform it, but then talk about the relevancy of that performance to sustainability, which connects into our building and inclusion, which is a part of our values. So that's a fun partnership. It actually started years ago before we did our reconstruction and redesign with uh, Dr. Meredith Salter, who is a professor of architecture. She was teaching an upcycle and downcycling class to seniors and graduate students. And she said, hey, can we display these in the rec center? And I was like, yes. So that's where my research in the rec idea was born. And, and it's friend raising and it lets students see other areas of study that they might not have considered. And so... Um, so LSU is for me, I, I work best in an environment where I can push some boundaries, do different things, uh, and, you know, just talk about and dream about what's next. You know? mm -hmm. So for me, what's next is, and you know, I talked about, we did a presentation with Russ Carson, um, from Playcore. He's a former LSU faculty member. We overlapped a little bit, but didn't know each other at that time well. Uh, but, you know, this concept of every campus apart, like how do we reach students that we aren't reaching? I know at LSU, 
We have 8,800 students that haven't engaged with us, but we're <clears> just <throat> north of 40,000. When you consider who we're not reaching, we're reaching almost 80% of our students. Well, oh, that's I awesome. Reach, I want to reach the other 20%. And I'm not going to do it by building another rec center. And I don't say I, we, we're not right. going to do it that way. We need to go to where students are. And I've been doing a lot of studying and reading over this year about about being outside in nature, like just sunshine, sitting on a bench, watching the clouds. And that parlays into Dr. Stuart Brown's book, uh, Play, which I used as my foundation for when I presented at LSU. Mm. That was, I predicated, because the, the prompt was, what's the role of a collegiate recreation facility at a tier one research institution? And my response is play. You know, and people's eyes got big, but I used uh, uh, Dr. Um, Stuart Brown's work in the book Spark about how physical activity enhances learning in the hippocampus. Your brain produces brain-derived neurotrophic factors, BDNF, um, and it helps you learn. So physical activity, you go out sweat, raise your heart rate, plant flowers, right. you know, all that is, is, is central to learning. And so is play in all its form, from a tune play to rough and tumble play to creative play. So how I thrive, I thrive in a space where I'm allowed to push the boundaries to the benefit of others and then bring others into that. Academics, you know, students who we wouldn't necessarily reach, the arts. So that's that that that's what that's how I feel like I thrive best is when I have the space to be creative. Yeah, well, it sounds like you definitely have that space at LSU. I'm interested to touch on a little bit more on every campus as a park because I know mm -hmm. you're very passionate about that, like you you expressed. So can you tell us more about that and how you think that will transform our industry, the concept of that? Well, Grady, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and can't tell you the exact answer, but I can tell you the dialogue that I want to engage with, with our peers and with our young professionals. Many of us have amazing facilities. Some of us are landlocked. Some of us can't build new or renovate new. Finances don't allow it. But let's think creatively. Let's look at the data. Um, uh, Donald Racco, and I apologize if I'm saying his not name wrong, and Gregory Ells at uh, Cornell have done some really great work about um, being out in nature and how it improves college students' mental health, right? Mm. And then if you parlay that into Stuart Brown's work about the value of play across our lifetimes, how we can... I believe in create in, in this every campus of the park is what are we doing in these academic corridors in the quad? What are we doing outside the business complex? How can we just have students play? Um, there's a another um, researcher, a, 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 a husband and wife team. Um, Kaplan is their last name, um, and it's attention restoration theory. Is essentially, and I'm I'm not an academician or a researcher, so I'm going to put this in layperson's terms as best as I can, as a entry level person studying this topic. Right. Right. But attention restoration theory essentially is like we are so focused 
Like you go class to class to class for three hours. And at a point in time, your brain just, you get, you got to relax. And the way to do that is they, all these studies, they, you go out, take a 90 minute walk outside of nature, whether it's walking around campus on a tree lined sidewalk or you're walking through corridors and you see lawn, green spaces. So people who are on campuses who have parade grounds or people who have quads. Um, that, and, and, and it's true, the stress, like the reduction in stress that a person feels, they can measure that through cortisol levels and saliva. So it's crazy all these studies that have been done about the impact of nature to the physiological um, responses, the positive physiological responses to being outside in nature for people. And so as we think about the academic campus and we think about students who have gone back to back to back to class and then they have life worries and stress worries and, and becoming an adult and a human being worries. And they're just like a rubber band, right? Yeah. And so if we can meet them where they are and do some spike ball, frisbee, you know, just how about just sit still and watch <laughs> the clouds? Do you see a dog in the clouds? Do you see your cat in the clouds? Do you see a yeah. clown in the clouds? So so that's when I think about every campus of park, I really am, am, am going back to my undergraduate degree, which was in, in leisure um, and recreation was the focus of that degree. And and then taking the, the neurobiologic science that has occurred in the last 33 years that validates what we do from a scientific perspective. And that's so I'm, you know, I'm new every day. Be, 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 be a beginner at something. I am a beginner in this work um, just since last fall. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm excited because I can go back and pull out things from my undergraduate education about the sociology of leisure and it fits right in. And now yeah. instead of having anecdotal research and proof, we have neurobiologic and neuropsychologic proof um, and studies that, 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 that affirm that what we do in, in campus recreation is absolutely positively impactful to student success. And now we have an area to explore that we haven't. And it doesn't have to be adventure. You don't have to take, I'm all about our adventure program, but you don't have to take people backpacking. I can't take people backpacking in West Texas to Mount Davis or to Colorado um, because it's just, it's unreachable. Yeah. And so, but I can take people outside and do fun things in park-like spaces and I can share with faculty members and I can talk to campus planners because Lori Braden and every campus recreation director is not going to go on our campuses and say, oh, we're going to make every campus a part. We're going to have to do it with people. So I am learning here at LSU and teasing this out. Like, you know, I want to talk to our landscape architect. I want to talk to our risk managers. I want to talk about our, to our deans in each of these mm -hmm. colleges where there are green space. And I want to share with them, hey, what do you think about this? How can this impact you? How can we make a park-like environment so your students have success? So this is new. And yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. And I want more people to join me in talking about it.
Well, I can hear the um, excitement and passion as you are talking about it with us today. And it's for me, what I'm hearing is, is it's just it's just putting more tools in our backpack, so to speak, as rec directors to engage, to focus on mental health and well-being, um, everything that we talk about that we do, but just in another forum. And that's mm-hmm. outside on campus. And why not? Why not exactly. do that? It's right there. So, And you're reaching students that may not. Um, come into your facility. If we do yeah. a body weight 30-minute hit class outside Patrick F. Taylor, which is our beautiful engineering building, um, and they have an incredible space, if we did a 30-minute hit workout there, you come as you are. You don't have to be dressed like you know, mm-hmm. like you're going to be in a Lululemon catalog or anything. Just come as you are. Some and, of them will be, but yeah. Yeah, right. But and, and let's say there's a first year PhD student who has come from away and they haven't discovered the rec center yet, but they have their, their tiger card and they swipe in. And let's say they see it a couple of them, they're like, Where are you from? Oh, the rec center is across campus. You should you can come there anytime. Yeah. But we're gonna still be coming here. You know, and they you know, they could be from a different culture, a different cult country. You know, they're like, I'm, I'm just going from my apartment, to my building, to my faculty researcher. And they just may not, you know, I don't want to project how anybody feels, but they may feel more comfortable engaging us with the, us there. So I think the way that we at LSU are going to reduce that gap is going out and creating these park-like environment and experiences and just swiping them in and knowing we've created and touched them at that point, meet them where they are. Yeah, well, that's that's good stuff. That's uh, I'm excited to to hear how that goes for you, and then figure out how we can do that here. And I'm sure other people will uh, be reaching out and wanting to know more to see how they can do it on their campus as well. So let's let's talk a little bit more about um, what makes LSU Rec stand out um, for you and your team and the time that you've been there. So you you and I had a conversation, and you talked about an attitude of service. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So, you know, and I will say I've had great folks, like I said, mention the other mentors that I've had in my along my path in my career. And really, it just comes down to having a servant's heart and mentality and taking the mindset that I'm a steward of the funds that are entrusted to me. And I teach that to every one of our staff members when they come in here. Um, And that is that if we can't sit with our students, leaders, and tell them we're purchasing this and we're doing this for X, Y, and Z, and here are the benefits of it. If, if, if it will not pass that test, then we will not be doing that. Hmm. It's as simple as that. So wait, that's not your money? That's <laughs> not your money to spend on whatever you want? Oh no, that is uh, that 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 is our students and our job is you know they've entrusted us to invest that wisely on their behalf and to their benefit. Yeah, I love that the accountability piece. Sometimes we get caught up in our budget. We need, we have to have. But you're right; it's not our money, and if we can't stand behind it in front of SGA, like you said, for those of us that have to. Um, we get our funds from student fees or from SGA. That's, that's a great, that's a great piece for your, especially your younger staff to understand. Yeah. Well, regard. Students and yeah. transparency. So not just accountability, but transparency. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I hear you're adding something new this summer um, to your facilities. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, we are um, we are installing a new outdoor challenge course, and it'll have a 475 foot zip line that leaves from a third story tower, goes past the Leisure River, past and over the sand volleyball courts. Um, the tennis courts will be on the left. It will land in our backyard, which is the park at UREC, uh, on a second story platform and have a corkscrew slide coming off as one exit point option. Goodness. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're excited about that. Um, we can't wait to, you know, we're going to have, it's a, it's a challenge course that has three levels. And I have to give um, a lot of props you know, to Caitlin and Zach, our adventure uh, team, for having the foresight to plan a course that has three different entry points and three different levels. In other words, you can come with a group of folks and just do kind of the lower level. You can come back and do the second level. And then if you're, you know, you have a, a team that stays in place, you can come back and do the third level. We also will have it so that you can do zips only. So we'll, you know, obviously we're going to, um, capitalize and, and monetize that from a yeah. you know resource enhancement opportunity um, to community members. Um, our students will always have, you know, first dibs yeah, they're the core. on all things. Yeah. They're the core. Um, but when we have the opportunity to uh, enhance our budget in ways that we can then turn those resources in back to our students, I'm, I'm always for that. Um, and then the last thing is that will be that third floor or third level uh, zip will be fully accessible. So, you know, awesome. if you have mobility uh, it, assistance needs, if you are uh, wheelchair um, bound and you need, you can't yeah. walk up those stairs, we will have a, an access point to enable um, those who want to zip the zip. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think the question on everybody's mind is, when are you going to go down there? Are you first and will there be a video? <laughs> I'm probably not going first. Um, if there is a video, there will be no audio. <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing it. All right. <laughs> so yeah, let's, shift gears I'm gonna do it. <laughs> let's shift gears a little bit um, and kind of get into the hard stuff of being a director. I'm curious, what's been the biggest challenge for you? during your time as a director? Oh, you know, I think the pandemic, obviously, yeah. has been the, the biggest. I think the pandemic um, was the biggest challenge from a personnel perspective. You know, we didn't have to lose. We didn't lose people because of the pandemic during the pandemic. Um, but trying to find ways to keep people engaged, uh, to find meaning in their work, um, I mean, that's certainly a challenge. And, and then I'm, I, in a Brady, I'm, I don't usually focus, I don't like to focus on this aspect, but obviously just being an out lesbian woman across my entire career, you know, yeah, I have experienced not so fun things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but I, I can, you know, I can still experience that on the daily, depending on who I'm engaged with. Right. Right. That's just a fact of life. Um, 
So I think those probably the two biggest um, challenges that, you know, I've, I've had to deal with. I think the personnel side is a challenge that all directors face. You know, you, how do you manage everybody? How do you lead everybody? And um, so I think, you know, that, that those are just the hardest things that I've had to face. Um, sometimes I've done you, them really well. And sometimes I'm like, Ooh, that's, I just did a face plan. Yeah. So during COVID, um, you kind of communicated, you know, you had, you had a lot of transition and you had to hire new, new members and you use the uh, phrase that you love, you love your team. Mm -hmm. So what is it about your team that excites you and that you love? Well, we have a new crop of coordinators that are year, year and a half in. Mm -hmm. And what, and, and I adore them and I, I love them in that work way, right? You know, I don't want to make it awkward or really. I do. I care about them. I care about yeah. them. But what I love is that they they care about each other. And, um, you know, we uh, are promoting some people. We're going to have a whole new fitness team here by the, hopefully by the, you know, they're all be on board by the, you know, beginning of June. Um and, you know, that's going to, we're going to have some holes because I anticipate more moves. I, th I anticipate potentially some, in, um, some promotional opportunities for people. Uh, and so I'm excited. This, this group of people, they just, they care about each other and they care about this work. They want to serve students. I think that, you know, one, this last year was kind of the last, or the first kind of normal year from the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. I think there was, yeah, we're back. Right. And, um, and we have already eclipsed 800,000 visits and, you know, our goal is to get past 830 before June 30th. But, um, and so already on record, since we finished our redesign and um, reopened in 17 and 18, this has been our busiest year ever. So that's awesome. great. Um, but, you know, I just, what I like about this group is how much like we've right sized the work life balance. People understand boundaries. People understand how to have that in ways that in higher education, I don't know that we've necessarily had. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the self care and the support of self care have come to, um, you know, student affairs. And, you know, I don't know that it's balanced and right size everywhere across the country, but I, I'm very proud that I, that at LSU, our divisional leadership um, gets that. And we're, and I think that people are really starting to thrive. So why I love my team is I think they're thriving. So how does that affect how you lead them? Well, you know, when it's, when everybody's thriving, it's a lot easier, right? <laughs> <laughs> Because you, you, the flywheel is working for you, not against you. Right. To use a Jim Collins analogy. And so, um, you know, so I just think it's time and place and people. And we have the right people on the bus and the right seats. or And we have everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction. And we've been down. Um, we've, we haven't had full-time fitness teams since last June ending here shortly because we, we've been hiring people um 
and uh, but our our end user student would not have known. And that team that came together and filled those spots, I asked more of them and they did it willingly. They did it with a cheerfulness. They approached it with, hey, I get to learn something new. And also we didn't approach it with, hey, you have to work 20 or 30 or 40 more hours. That's not what we're asking. We're asking you just to keep all these student employee groups in the boat, try to keep them rowing. We know that, you know, we're going to go from some A-roll footage that we have most of the time. You know, we might have a couple, we might have some B-roll footage occasionally. And and we're there's margin based on the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So what's the hardest part about being a director? Ooh, I think, you know, people forget that it's lonely at the top. Yes, it is. And um, I, I would tell you, I think when we talked the other day, it's like a thread and a bunch of needles, right? And our role is to thread all the needles, right? And and to do that well and it, as, as much at the same time as we can, right? That's not always possible. And that's really difficult, particularly if you're trying to thread one needle and keep missing. It's like, oh, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have to make decisions that not everybody are going to like. And that's that's never fun. But you have to do what's the best for the department and for the students that you serve. Um, so I think that's the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy of threading the needle. And you, like you said, it's multiple needles, usually all at the same time as well. So when you look back on your experience as a director up until this point, is there anything that you would have done differently? And you don't have to tell us specifically, but if so, like, what did you learn from that experience about yourself and where you are today? Oh, gosh. Um, there's so many things. I would... One thing I wouldn't do differently, and I would encourage, I'll get to the, I answer your question. I'm not going to politics on you and not answer your question. <laughs> um, one thing I would tell everybody to do, and that I did do, and I do think this is why I've been able to achieve, you know, the success I have achieved. I'm not going to stop trying to achieve, right? But read, read everything. Read business books, get on committees, get on the bylaws committee, get, be on these things outside your scope of practice. So that you widen your network, you have more people to talk to, more people to reflect with and ask questions of, and get different perspectives. That enriches your knowledge base. Um, so and so ultimately, be curious, and that's where I think that mm-hmm. that has helped me be successful. Um, but back to your question, what is it that I would do differently, and what have I learned? Is that correct? Yeah. Is there something looking back that you would have done differently? And if so, what did you learn from that okay. that you're applying today? Yeah. You know what? What I would do is I would, I, and this is a new thing, right? So this is a two, year and a half, year, year, year and a half old thing. Um, I, I wish that someone had asked me earlier in my career How did you come to your leadership style or the way in which you lead? What shaped you? 
to lead the way you lead now. Mm. And what I would, and, and I wish that someone had asked me that earlier because what I can tell you and is that my ability to lead, um, to be a more empathetic leader, like this sounds hard, this is hard for me to say and weird to hear out loud, but where I am today as a leader, where I was a year ago at this time is, I'm going to say 180 degrees different because if it went 360, I'd be right back where I was. Yeah, right. So it's 180 <laughs> degrees different in that my capacity to lead in, in a more empathetic way has grown because I have a phenomenal ABP who asked me that question during some difficult times. And I really realized that I learned to lead as someone who in many ways had experienced some leadership trauma, you know, mm -hmm. some trauma related to former leaders and, and the, the, the feeling of I have to be better than everybody because I'm a woman in a man's role and mm -hmm. I'm out lesbian and I cannot make a mistake. I cannot make a mistake. Mistakes aren't tolerable. If I want to succeed, my livelihood depends on never failing. Well, you know, how that showed up for me for many years as a leader was it, and, and I'm not proud, but, you know, people say, oh, you can work for Laura. You, whew, you know, she's, she's tough, right? That doesn't make me happy to say, and I know I'm being really vulnerable, and I know this podcast is going to go out to a lot of people, but I can't be ashamed of who I am. I won't be. I'll always be proud of being able to learn and even prouder when I can look back and go, dang. I learned something and I'm doing better and I feel more relaxed myself. Yeah. So, you know, that's, some, that's something I would ask people to start reflecting on. How did you come to your leadership? What drove you? And then how does that show up when you supervise others? Yeah. Well, I thank you for being vulnerable and saying that. And, you know, it may be lonely as a director at the top, like they say, but I don't think you're alone in that experience. I know that I feel that way as well. I mean, I say it all the time. I'm not the same director that I was when I certainly first started. And like, like you just said, probably not from a year and a half ago. And right. I think we have to own our truth right? And mm -hmm. our authenticity, as we say, even when it's good and when it's not so good. So right. you're spot on. And I'm, I can't thank you enough for your time today. There's some exciting stuff going on at LSU. Go Tigers, right? Yeah. Go, and, go and, Tigers at Towson. Yeah. And you have, um, you've shared a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff today that I think people are going to walk away with challenging themselves on what they can do on their campus from, um, the, the play standpoint, and then also any aspiring directors or young directors who are out there that are listening to this on just kind of what you need to do, where you need to be and how you need to think in, ter in terms of being better. So thank you, Lori. Appreciate it. We'll chat soon. Yeah.